you are listening to Single Serves. My name is Arno Marturet and I am your host. Single Serves is a podcast dealing with design, architecture, business, and city building in which I interview an expert on a specific subject matter. Together, we dive into that topic and challenge conventional thinking in a thought-provoking conversation. I sincerely hope that you will find these conversations as engaging as I did and learn a thing or two in the process. Don't forget to send us your comments, criticism, and praise. To do so, you can email us at hello at rvltr.studio or leave a comment online. You can also subscribe to the podcast on our website at rvltr.studio and follow us on social media under the handle at revelator underscore T-O. It's R-E-V-E-L-A-T-E-U-R underscore T-O. So we're here today with uh, Joanne Chan, principal at SDI, a Toronto-based commercial design firm focusing on commercial interiors. Thanks, Joanne, for being on the show. Thank you for having me today. So what we're going to talk about today is uh, leadership in times of crisis. But before we jump into the topic, can you tell us who you are and what you do in three sentences or less? Well, I'm uh, for and foremost um, a mom <laughs> uh, with a teenager, a teenager right now. Um, but on top of that, I am, I think I would say I'm a, a creative person that focuses a lot on uh, making an experience for our sort of clients and their user experience. And the third, I would say I am a bit excited about uh, things that are all technology and, uh, and anything that's artsy has to do with experience. I really like enjoy that uh, uh, side of uh, things. So like I said, today we're going to talk about leadership in times of crisis. Can you tell us what that means to you? So I suspect, you know, many of us are in um, a, a bit of a, a limbo right now. Um, we can call this uh, pandemic uh, definitely something that is unprecedented. Um, as a leadership in crisis, I would say, um, from my perspective, is someone that will provide not only support, but also empathy towards the situation from uh, what we stand, where we stand, uh, and also kind of create some hope for the future. Uh, a lot of leaders right now are scrambling for the last six months to forecast the future at the same time providing support and empathy towards their sort of team members and their you know sort of people around them so I think that having hope is really important in the in the leadership in crisis um, that makes a lot of sense especially in light of the fact that um, maybe a little less so now but early on in the crisis there was a lot of doom and gloom and people felt down on themselves so uh, I think it's important to have a, a more of an upbeat message. Um, how do you make sense of what we've seen as often conflicting um, and therefore very confusing information that's been spread out around uh, this pandemic and everything related to it? Of course, um, there is a lot of, I would say, fake news and false news or even um, you know, clickbaits and whatnot in the media. So a lot of times I think having a balance between not necessarily focusing on the negativity, but the positivity of our world. Um, and oftentimes, you know, getting some break and some rest time um, during, um, let's say you're not, you know, you shouldn't go to social media 24 uh, seven. At the same time, I think really doing the research is important. Um, a lot of uh, people do tend to focus on social media to get their news. Um, so I think having some strong uh, background on sort of what you're reading is really important. And also history has repeated itself quite a few times. 
So having foresight and perspective of the future of what you're going through now, knowing that um, it will pass, then, you know, for, for, for lack of better terms, having uh, an opportunity to look forward and, you know, go back in history and, and see how people have adapted and adopted. Um, so not to just focus on, on just the now is very important, I think. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned um, uh, quickly fake news and uh, clickbait uh, headlines on the media. Um, how do you deal with that? The possible large amount of false information that's out there. Uh, do you have any tips um, or any tricks that you use to uh, to separate the the false from the truth? Well, first of all, for and foremost, don't just get your news from Facebook. That's really important. Um, I suspect, you know, everybody has a, has a bit of a perspective. Um, depending on the, you know, sort of political side of where you stand, you tend to, your, your you know, social media or even your computer, um, the algorithm is geared towards sort of, you know, when you search something, they're programmed to feed you a large number of um, information that may or may not be correct, but it's, you know, geared towards your search, re you know, results. So one of the things I do is I look beyond sort of what are my, my current uh, news feed and I go outside of my sort of Google search parameters and I look for some things that are primarily really focusing on the topic that may or may not be skewed. Um, so there's a lot of sort of American influence news. There's a lot of Asian, Asia influence news. So try to find sources that are not necessarily geared towards your political stance that would be a, a, a way to actually identify some of the other perspective of the things that you're trying to find out and, and research. Mm -hmm. um, so you said a few minutes ago that history repeats itself and this crisis shall pass at some point. How do you uh, prepare for and handle a crisis when it happens? Because from what I understand, it's not your first rodeo either. Um, I don't think anybody can prepare for a crisis. Um, I think you need to be honest. <clears throat> with what's going on in your environment. A lot of us are fortunate enough to, you know, still have a job, still create impact. Um, so having sort of that um, circle that you can actually reach out to is really important. So I will give you an example that, you know, even though, you know, as a principal, you try to say, you know, we're in com competition with other firms, but many of my colleagues that are principal or senior management team in different design firms are a source of my comfort. So we talk and we check in with each other. And I really like that commercial. One of the banks actually said the best line you can hear is, um, you know, I'm checking in and see how you're doing. So having that human connection, especially with isolation, a lot of people, you know, they may or may not have a lot of, you know, sort of connectivity with outside world because they either live alone or they may or may or may not have a family with them close by. So it is important to, uh, to have people that your comrade and people that can support you throughout any kind of crisis. So from a pandemic to a personal crisis, a financial crisis, having another perspective is very important. So I would say the way that I managed the last six months is actually connecting with people that I may or may not connect every day. And uh, we check in with each other. Um, we talk about, you know, current events, but at the same time, we talk about the future as well. So you, you talked about connecting with uh, some of your competitors that are also your peers. Is that something you've done more of since the beginning of the crisis or is something you do no matter what? I think we've definitely done more of it because of the, the surrounding environments are kind of unstable and, and uncertain. So as you can imagine, when the pandemic first happened, commercial construction has been on hold. Um, a lot of our clients are uncertain about what the future holds. So they are on hold. Um, a lot of clients.
a lot of clients don't really know um, in a sense of, you know, are they going to move forward with their project? So some financial aspect of things that they might have no control of. So everything seems to be in a pause. So having the opportunity to connect was really important so that, you know, we kind of cross-check each other in terms of what's happening in the marketplace. Um, is there anything we can help each other out? So, you know, for example, you know, I don't do work outside of, of, of GTA sometimes. The, our team is quite uh, quite tight in terms of our headcount. You know, we would forward RFPs to our friends and say, hey, we found an opportunity. Why don't you bid on this? Because it's definitely something in your wheelhouse. So it's almost, um, it's almost, we, were, we, were, we become more friends than competitor, I think. That was, that's probably how I would see it. That's good. And there's, a, there's kind of a, a correlation to uh, natural ecosystems because we always think of, uh, of uh, organisms as competing for the re same resources, but there's also a fair amount of cooperation that happens in nature between different kinds of organisms. Uh, and there's many examples we could touch on, but it's not the point of this conversation. So I find that interesting that uh, in difficult times, you kind of all come together and support each other. I think it's really, really positive thing. Um, what do you think we have to look forward to uh, in the the remainder of this crisis and beyond? I look forward to the next six to eight months, the innovation that will come out of because of the pandemic. There's a lot of opportunities that people are seeing, not only from a healthcare perspective or a design perspective, but the technology side of connecting, basically having an opportunity to take something that's already there, but maybe not reinventing, but uh, migrating the the conversation from just peer one-to-one -one dialogue, like a, a more of an analog conversation, to more of a digital conversation. And because we're focusing on technology so much these days, um, I think the opportunity here is to see the most crazy innovation that will come out of this after uh, after the pandemic is done. Are, are there any such innovations coming out of your office? So we have been working on a lot of the transition from just the future of work conversation to a future of practice. So there is a very various conversation we're talking to multiple platforms with outside sort of specialized consultants. So we are talking to people about the future of uh, learning, uh, the future of healthcare, and the future of work, obviously, because we do a lot of commercial office space. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we found was it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of us think, well, maybe there's this sort of new gadget that will come out. Of course, there's many gadgets that has come out, you know, booking system, uh, chair booking system sensors, um, temperature control and temperature um, uh, sort of monitoring system. Uh, mechanical system has come up with, you know, some kind of device that could ionize the particle in the air so that the virus will actually drop on the floor. So there's a lot of sort of that outside influence that we can incorporate within our own practice that will be sort of we're like the almost like the bridge of all the practices from a mechanical electrical life safety product vendor contracting construction implementation skill set so because we're involved in all that facet of the project we become the glue and the bridge for our client to actually get those technology because if you say to a mechanical engineer in order for them to implement their base building system there must be a, a reason and there's a connection point from a from the consultant to the user, which is the client. So we become sort of the stronger bridge, um, not only from an aesthetic point of view, but from a from an innovation integration point of view, we become a, a much more part and partial in the process. Mm -hmm. um, so we started talking about leadership in times of crisis. I wanna uh, dwell a little more on that idea. 
What does uh, being a leader mean in the design architecture industry to you? So there's, I think there's two facets of it. There's one side of it is to propel the industry to become recognizable in our industry besides thinking ourselves as decorators. So a lot of the conversation in the last 20 years is to identify ourselves as more of an interior architecture side rather than um, a decorative side. So of course, mm -hmm. decor decorative and design requirements and making things beautiful is part of our job. But a lot of our influence is definitely trying to push forward the conversation that we are subject matter specialists and um, we are the ones who are trying to push not only from an architectural experience, but maybe a user and culture, uh, as well as um, probability uh, from an organization, we can translate that into space. So it's almost we've we've come so far to be an organization as in uh, a society of organization let's call it a rito is our ontario uh, regulation board we've come a lot uh, we've come a long way from where we started the conversation that legislation has made us part of the conversation doing a sort of construction in terms of part partial construction the second part of education i think really is who inspires so um, when I was a kid, when I went to school, we were told, you know what, be a designer. You have to love the profession. You have to, you have to love what you do to come to work because this is not where you make the big bucks, as we call it. Um, but I think there's this sort of essence of, you know, sustainability of living between um, a creative person and a practical person. So be inspired um, uh, for others are really important because all of us came in as youngsters with a dream. And if we could make that dream happen for younger people and leverage our experience and help them go through a certain crisis or certain, you know, certain situation. It's, it's part and partial our job, not to just, you know, do the work and get the project, but rather help them to move forward and make, you know, sort of nurture them and, and, and kind of help the next generation to grow. So how specifically would you go about um, uh, grooming the next generation of leaders and training them to be, um, you know, the top leaders in the field for the next few decades that's a very hard question um i find the education system with the with the practice the, the actual practice is not necessarily connected thoroughly so one of the things that i've been talking to is actually one of the old professor i have in sheridan i say you know like is there a way to connect um schools with more practicality of practical experience so they all have this sort of internship program but one of the things that is probably not as thought out is, is there a way to provide firms with some guidelines of what the, the student may, sh may or should, you know, get experience on? Because a lot of our, our students that come out of um, the internship program, their job is to stock the library. Um, and if your whole term of three months or four months is stocking library, you might get a lot of exposure or material, but that doesn't help them to understand how a real practice or real design firm functions. So that's mm -hmm. maybe a guideline that will be provided by the school. Um, on a personal note, I think we, we tend to gravitate to people who can dream. I personally do do, do so. So um, even during the pandemic, we actually had an intern that was doing remote work, which is amazing. Uh, and we were doing a concept project with him. So um, he got to present to a client. He got to present the, his idea. And we, so there is that sort of one-on-one -on -one requirement sometimes from, uh, mm -hmm. from a youngster to get the feeling of that they're taken care of. I was very fortunate. Um, I grew up with a lot of the older generation that really believe in nurturing um, youngsters. So I'm kind of paying it forward and I'm doing that generally every term in school. So there's an individual kind of person that will work with us on things that are 
may or may not be what they do at school. Yeah, that sounds great. I think uh, training the next generation is critical to keeping a profession alive and kicking. Um, going back to the idea of managing a crisis and, and especially leadership in times of crisis, what have you done throughout this crisis and maybe even in past ones that you've experienced to, to get through those tough times? And specifically, can you speak to what might have worked well for you? So many people tell me exercise is a key to a, a positive life. I, I'm not a exercise person, um, but I do think leaving, leaving the, the work away and don't think about it for a bit, it's good. So one of the things that I do quite a bit is I tend to play video games. Mm -hmm. So I do that a lot uh, when I'm not in a positive mood uh, to distract myself. But really, if it, if, to be all serious, I think having an opportunity to take away take away the work from yourself for a bit and actually dream a little bit and be able to daydream and to be inspired. So I might not be, you know, doing things that are related to work, but I might be uh, watching a, a virtual show that has to do with art. Uh, it could be I'm doing a virtual tour somewhere in the world that uh, currently we can do um, sort of the art tour around the world, that kind of uh, conversation, but also um, picking up some hobbies. It will be good too. That would be distracting to sort of your, to the crisis itself. Um, but from a professional standpoint, I think having the attitude towards improvement of self is really important. Um, a lot of the things that I've been working on is to take what I already know and reinvent what I want to become. So I kind of have a journal system. I think about what it should happen in three to five years and have those goals. I uh, tend to be a, a goal-oriented person, so I tend to write down what I want to achieve post-pandemic, three years from now and five years from now, that made me feel that there is something achievable within grasp and I could map out the plan so that I can actually, you know, go towards that sort of goal that I established. So that makes you feel like you have a roadmap. So a lot of people tend to say, well, you know, I'm going to do this in five years, but what's your roadmap to get to that five-year point? Mm -hmm. And that does, make, um, that does make me feel more secure as a person, I think, from uh, self-growth because I'm doing research on the thing I want to become. Therefore, mm -hmm. it makes me feel like that I'm, I'm actually contributing to my self-growth and, and knowledge growth. So when you do that uh, future-oriented thinking and, and mapping of the things you want to accomplish, where do you find the accountability to make sure that you stay the course? Uh, I or guess, do you hold um, yourself accountable? Yes, and I think um, I would say the last 20 years, that is, uh, there is an, a reason for how I got to this spot, but a lot of the future thinking is also become flexible or being flexible. So you can't say to yourself, I'm going to make a million dollars in five years. And then you start doing the plan and you're like, well, you know, you have to be flexible because sometimes there's a pandemic in the real world. <laughs> so holding yourself accountable is very important because hitting the milestone is important but also having flexibility in your plan is also very important because a lot of us might get discouraged because sometimes you don't get there and you're like, Oh, you know, I spent four years doing this and now it's not doable anymore. And you feel like you've, you've disappointed yourself. So having some flexibility in your plan is very important. Um, and also being able to identify that maybe this is not your thing. So a lot of us, come into our, our profession, especially creative profession, thinking that we'll be a rock star designer. I still don't think I'm a rock star designer. I, I have a good practice. I create beautiful things. I change people's lives one chair at a time. 
But is it that I'm a rock star designer? I'd probably take a long way to get there. So I'm okay to identify what my setbacks are and accept the setbacks because it's your ability. So having the, the sort of honesty with yourself and not hold yourself too hard on the things that you might say, well, you know, if, if I was to say, well, I'm going to be an artist in five years and I actually can't paint, that would be a problem. But, you know, knowing that you might want to be surrounded by creative environment, creatives that are uh, a creative environment that will support your profession. So having the identification saying that this may not be the thing is also very important. Mm-hmm. And if you're not an artist now, but you want to be in five years, it's something you can learn too. Um, Absolutely. So in terms of the, the things that you've done that have worked to get through the crisis, I want to ask you the corresponding um, uh, opposite side of the coin question is what are some of the things that might not have worked for you and you would uh, recommend against or, uh, or warn against? Um, I tend to be very um, obsessive about some ideas. I think, as I just said, I've learned from the past that um, sometimes being pigheaded is great because you're determined and you're, I would say, stubborn is a good thing to have in, 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 in some personality traits. Uh, I think one of the things is flexibility um, and be able to accept failure and learn from the failure and move forward from the failure is really important. So I would say the pros and cons, um, don't be so stubborn, but also be stubborn. Um, and also I think, uh, reading too much current events is sometimes positive, but it does have an impact on your emotional health. Um, being able to learn to read your own body read your own mind and be able to step back and do things that may or may not be important at all. It might not be productive at all, but it's good for you then choose those things to do. So, Uh, the last um, crisis was, I would say, 2008. That's when the pandemic, but that was when the financial crisis happened. I was quite stubborn. I didn't want to change. Um, so I had to go through um, a, a bit of a garden path to get to where I am in, you know, two, three, four years. Uh, it took a lot of sort of that sort of realization that maybe you're wrong. So you have to change course. It's okay, but learn from it. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um Those are most of the questions I had for you. But the last one I had is, um, do you have any last words for our listeners or any advice that you want to share? I think having um, my last piece of advice is to have fun. Um, a lot of people say, well, you know, you know, I'm trying to make a living. I'm trying to pay the rent. I'm trying to take care of my children. How can I have fun? Well, I think everybody has their way of having fun. Um, but being able to laugh about yourself and being to enjoy the moment, uh, even though it might not be the best moment, uh, will actually help uh, personal growth because laughing and having fun makes you feel alive. So I would say have fun. I think that's a perfect uh, uh, thought to end on. So Joanne, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to participate. I think it was a very interesting and fruitful conversation. And I hope we can have uh, more of those in the future. Great. Thank you very much for inviting myself and have yourself a great weekend. Hey, Arno here. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and that you'll come back for more. Please share with your friends and colleagues and remember to subscribe on our website at rvltr.studio. Until next time, ciao.